0: Morning folks, welcome to another Chit Chats with GitCats. got my morning coffee and I am very excited to have with me, Ding Dong, who's at my bo- my front door, it is none other than Michael Ibrahim. How are you Michael? Good Rick, how are you buddy? I'm doing very well mate, very well. Uh, it's, it's to uh, virtually catch up with you? Yeah, it's actually nice to finally meet you mate, I've spoken to you on the phone before and yeah. very well... Well aware of your amplifiers and uh, effects, all Australian based here. Yep. May what I don't know is much about the Michael Ibrahim story and how you got into the whole electronic side of things. Do you care uh, to enlighten me?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I come from a family of uh, electrical engineers. Uh, my father is an electrical engineer, uh, and he actually met my mother at uh, university back in back in Egypt. Uh, she was also an electrical engineer um, my sister is the uh, the um, uh, dark horse of the family she's a doctor but uh, we uh, uh, we forgive her for that nonetheless uh, mm-hmm. so yeah so um, we emigrated to Australia in uh, 1982 so I was uh, eight years old at the time and um, yeah uh, very very quickly I, I, I got into music but um, uh, music um, uh, for me was, was actually something that, that uh, preceded all of that uh, Back in uh, back in Egypt, actually, my dad worked. Uh, so he was a le- lecturer at Cairo uh, University. He was a senior lecturer. Oh, cool! And um, uh, electrical engineering, and uh, the income uh, back then wasn't very good. So he used to moonlight doing a whole bunch of other things as well. So one of the things that uh, he did actually was he worked as a uh, uh, as an engineer in a recording studio cool um back when in- engineers actually did engineering yep uh, so he used to have to build equipment for them and uh, you know things would would bust and he'd have to you know design stuff from scratch for them and, and do all that sort of stuff so um yeah so he used to come home with music all the time because um, one of the one of the things that they uh, did uh, in this particular studio in Cairo was pirate a whole bunch of uh, western music <laughs> oh really okay <laughs> yeah yeah, so so we uh, he used to come home with um, a whole bunch of uh, I remember things like uh, rather embarrassingly Abba. Um, <laughs> uh Bonnie M. Santana I think was my first real intro to to uh, guitar through uh, nice. dad's um, dad's uh, collection. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so when when we came to Australia, I um, uh, you know as a you know going into teenagehood, I discovered. Rock music, uh, and uh, that was really what uh, what set me on the path. And then, uh, as I kind of approached uh, university age, I said, "Oh, look, Mum and Dad, I I don't want to go to uni. I want to join a band and tour." And uh, my uh, father, knowing a that I'm not particularly talented on the guitar, uh, (laughs) and and b how difficult it is to actually do that successfully, was very very smart. He said, "Look, I tell you, I tell you, wh- wh- why don't you consider doing something with engineering? That way you can build your own equipment when you when you get super famous and tour and uh, tour the world. And that way you can say, look, I even use my own stuff." So, I uh, have very naively said, "Oh, yeah, okay, all right, fair enough." So, I enrolled in Lechinge and uh, that was kind of when when my my dreams of uh, rock and roll stardom started to um, evaporate as I realized the limitations of my talent. Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah.
0: It seems like a pretty common story of, of people um, wanting to get into it and having a talent at something behind the scenes mm. uh, because it is a, a very – you've got to be very lucky to make it as an artist if there is such thing as luck, but it seems like a, a very common uh, story. Now, you, you said that your dad was working in recording studios and, and you hung yeah. out. Do you yeah. think that helped to, to tune your ear to what a good sound is?
1: um <clears throat> i think it helped to tune my uh understanding of the way the equipment worked okay uh, but not necessarily uh the sound i mean it's interesting because um you know when i started to do mi audio and i you know um, um my father is still somebody that i uh, very much look up to and and to take his uh, advice seriously so when i when i first started MI audio i said oh you know i want to start you know maybe i might do some stuff with vacuum tubes he was like vacuum tubes why would you do that? They're horrible. They're unreliable. You know, we've got transistors now. You don't need vacuum tubes. <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh, uh, kind of a uh, generational ideological uh, divide there. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely.
0: Because there is just something golden about the randomness of uh, of using tubes, isn't there? As opposed to solid state designs. Oh, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. You know, it. it uh, you know, every amplifier that goes out. It really does sound different, and, and mm-hmm. often it's the, uh, the the vacuum tubes, particularly the preamp tubes, that are that are, that are uh, responsible for that, mm-hmm. uh, much more so than, than than the power tubes. But um, yeah, um, yeah, I mean, look, there's there's a real, you know, and, and the other thing as well was trying to explain to him that uh, I wanted to distort the signal. Yep, uh, and he was like, "Why the hell do you want to do that?" Sure, <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah, we spend yeah. all all that time as engineers, you know, training to get the distortion out.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. a word for that, you yeah, know, something that's technically incorrect but sounds pleasing, isn't there? Is that euphonic? Yeah, absolutely, yeah, euphonic. Yeah. 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 So, what came first for you, building pedals or designing amps?
1: Ah, oh, that's a good question. Um, well, actually, the very first project I ever worked on was an amplifier. Uh, so when I was 14, uh, and my parents bought me my first electric guitar, which was a bloody horrible, uh, Epiphone, uh, Ibanez knockoff. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, It was, it was really bad. (laughs) Uh, everything above the 14th fret didn't work, but, um, that's a different story. Um, yes. So when they first got that guitar for me, I kind of went, oh, awesome. Fantastic. Uh, where do I plug it in? And they went, well, just plug it into the stereo. So I did that for a little while and then eventually I went, oh, no, no, I need an amplifier, mum and dad. And dad said, well, if you want an amplifier, you're going to have to build one. Uh, so um, so he uh, did a – so it was, it was really interesting actually. So he designed an amplifier and he showed me how to etch the PCB and uh, gave me the component list and said, okay, you know, load it here. And, um, yeah, so I built a little – it must have been like a little 15-watt solid-state amplifier. Uh, and then after that, I said, oh, look, it's not loud enough. I need something with a bit more grunt. So then I went out and got a um, – uh, here in Australia, we've got a, uh, a uh, electronics train called J-Car. It's kind of like um, uh, 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 the equivalent of uh, – I don't know. What, what, what are the big electronics uh, trains in the US? I don't know, mate. Uh, radio. You know, radio, shack? Yeah, radio shack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, like kind, yeah. Of, yeah. The kind, of, kind of the equivalent of our radio shack uh, here. And uh, so I pieced together a uh, a guitar amplifier from from a couple of kits there um yeah so that was that was really the first thing but um yeah c- commercially in terms of actually having having a crack it would have been um pedals yeah so that goes back to about 95 when i started to muck around with the uh, with the uh, pedals
0: cool and was were you inspired by any particular type of pedal we I, I know talking to some guys they would they start off modifying current designs and coming up with yeah. their own was that something that that you did or did you just completely build one from scratch? And are you willing um, to share where you started, where you got the, the inspiration yeah, from? Yeah, sure,
1: absolutely. So the thing for me, back in 95, I had a Roland JC120, which is uh, which I still have, a, a beautiful uh, amplifier, but obviously not a um, warm uh, amplifier. So I wanted to sound like Alan Holdsworth. Uh, cool. So, so I said, okay, well, my rat distortion pedal is not cutting it um you know it just sounds really harsh through through that amplifier uh uh, you know what how do i produce that sort of sound with my budget and so um it was um uh at the time holsworth is using uh uh, interestingly using a a Mesa boogie dual rectifiers yeah right yeah uh, and so i kind of looked at a rectifier said okay well there's the cathode follower in the preamp and then there's um four valve stages before it so maybe as opposed to trying to get the distortion out of one stage maybe if i actually kind of click the signal multiple times so okay. that the distortion happens um, uh, gradually as opposed to all of a sudden then that'll uh, produce a more pleasing tone so that was the experiment that i did and that was actually what gave birth to the uh, tube zone so that was um uh, yeah back back in 95 when i started mucking around with, with that uh, particular design yeah. but yeah i mean look as with all people um the, uh, uh, look, look there, is a, uh, uh, there is a marketing narrative that we like to spin, which is that, you know, I wasn't happy with anything out there, and so I wanted to design my own thing. The reality is that you put it together, if you don't electrocute yourself and it works, you're bloody over the moon. Uh, <laughs> so that, that, that's, that's the reality, I think, for, for a lot of people, you know. Yeah. Um,
0: Speaking yeah, of that, have, they, have you had any close calls?
1: Oh hell yeah. 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 Just 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 the other week I, I uh, zap zapped myself. <laughs> yeah. Um look I've actually been uh, fairly uh, fairly lucky uh, with that. It's probably I've only done it a handful of times um, I know, speaking to a lot of other amp techs they say you know it's it's something that happens on a, almost on a weekly basis but um, yeah 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 um,
0: I guess you learn yeah. the tricks so, though of you know touching with the, the back of your hand so you don't clench or anything.
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. 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 And and when I um uh, you know I, when I'm poking around inside an amplifier, I like to have uh, not that this is necessarily um, uh, advice for for, for anybody. Uh, so I'm, this isn't uh, legal advice. Yep. yep. <laughs> legal safety advice, but uh, you know just to work with one hand behind your back so that uh, if you do shorts somewhere, it doesn't go through your heart. And um, okay, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So if if you've got, uh, you know, if, if you're working with two hands on, on on the amplifier and you and you touch something, then then the current path is kind of that way. So okay, but, um, yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, once again, not not uh, not legal safety advice. Sure, uh, yeah, sure.
0: So. <laughs> so you said you started back in '95 with the the tube zone pedal. You called it, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I, I started uh, uh, mucking around with that design and using it, and I ended up um. Yeah, just building building a small number and and, and um, uh, just yeah, selling them. I think maybe I spent um, maybe about four years selling about twenty of them or so. Okay. Um, and it wasn't until uh, kind of two thousand and two that I went, oh, maybe I'll have a crack at actually doing this commercially. So um, yeah, so that was that was the path that I took. Uh, Great. To Starting my audio, yeah. And and were
0: you just working out at home to start? to start off with and then built it up to working in a factory or?
1: Yeah, so I started off uh, working from home. In fact, it was kind of my, my nighttime job. I had a regular daytime job working at, um, at that stage, I was working at uh, a startup, uh, software startup company called uh, Dilithium Networks um, uh, doing uh, doing software development for, for um, uh, mobile phone transcoding. Uh, okay. That's, that's uh, something uh, technical and boring. I won't bore you with that. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah so, so, I used to come home and and, and um, uh, assemble these pedals, and my wife would help me. I'd uh, you know drill out the cases, and um, uh, the very earliest ones, actually, I etched the PCBs myself, and um, uh, yeah. But we just build those and, and and sell them. And look, look back then, I think it was a lot easier. Uh, so, literally, all I did was I just put up a, a single page website. Uh, put up a little uh, news uh, item on Harmony Central mm-hmm. uh, back back when that was really big, um, and yeah, people started buying. And I was like, oh, that's kind of weird. Yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> I, wasn't expecting, I wasn't expecting people to to to, to really uh, buy, but I think I, I think I bought parts for fifty pedals, and they sold out in a couple of months. Uh, and then um, uh, Teddy over at Music Toys. Um, uh, he back then with we, we, the largest online retailer contacted me and said well I want to buy some and I was like I hadn't actually thought of that I don't have a dealer margin or anything so then I had to uh, work very quickly to um, work out how I was going to do manufacturing and pricing and um, yeah so I, I did that probably for about a year or maybe two years until I went you know what I'm I'm quitting uh, and uh, my uh, my day job and I'm, I'm going to have a crack at doing this full time so cool Cool, and and was there a uh, a point
0: where, like a name player or anything like that, came along and and started using your your pedals to give you a bit of a kickstart? Because uh, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Look, that, that, that side of the business, I must admit, I'm really terrible at. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, my, uh, my my thinking has always been uh, to just try to make the stuff as, as reasonably priced for the average punter as possible. Yeah, uh, but but yeah, I mean, look, I've I've had uh, heaps of. Uh, players uh, use my stuff um uh here in australia brett Garsard i think was uh, one of the first uh big name australian players to, nice. to use my stuff i have brett um, coming
0: on the show on monday actually oh awesome fantastic mm, mm.
1: um yeah yeah so I've, I've had a long long relationship with uh, with brett uh, so he he would have been really the first uh, big name player that i had but um yeah i've my, my pedals have ended up uh, all over the place um uh i know dave leslie was using your amps for a bit yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yep, 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 bob uh, bob
0: spencer gave you a great shout out a couple couple of weeks ago yeah, as well yeah,
1: yeah, Yep, yeah, yeah bob um cetriani's uh, got uh some of my pedals cool uh, i think vi has them as well I wow some steve Vai as well but um yeah just all over uh, all over the place i know that uh the edge actually has a blues pro really uh, okay yeah 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 But um uh, that was not our doing. That that happened uh, independently of us. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So so yeah. Um, pretty pretty exciting for for a, for a fairly small operation. But um, um yeah. I mean I think it's interesting. I mean I think that the marketing and endorsement side of things is, is an interesting uh, business um, conundrum that I, I I personally haven't really worked out uh, yet. Uh huh. Ah, uh, but, uh, uh, but that'll be something interesting to to explore. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. So, is is there any wish list players that you'd love to see using your gear? Ah,
1: oh, look, for me, I think that sadly no longer possible Alan Holsworth. Mm. Uh, <clears throat> I actually even got his home phone number uh, from uh, from uh, somebody in the industry, and uh, I said, look, just phone him up and send him something. And I was just too scared. I thought, "No, I'm not going to." And, uh, and uh, you know, sadly, obviously, he passed away. Um, was it two years ago now? Yeah, uh, maybe three years ago. Three years yep. ago, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that would have been my absolute uh, uh, number one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the on the wish list, but yeah. Um, yeah.
0: So, in terms of your own guitar playing, because mm. uh, you, you did say you started out playing yourself and needing some tools, so you, you built them yourself. Uh, is, is that the style of playing that you go for yourself? The, the Holdsworth legato kind of thing or you?
1: That's what I would like to go for. Yeah. Um, uh, but, uh, look at the end of the day, I'm just a a rock hack who tries to pretend he's intelligent. (laughs) It it kind of to justify my wrong notes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, I guess yeah that yeah that might have a lot to do with your amplifier design and sort of okay how do I make this a bit more uh suited to my playing. Um before I get to the amplifiers, you said you started with in ninety five with the uh the tube zone. How many pedals have you got now that you
1: make? <clears throat> uh at the moment uh I've got uh, seven that that are in production. Um uh yeah, so 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 predominantly uh overdrive. I've got one delay pedal, a bit pedal. Um Uh, But as as with all these things, I've got so many plans. But um, now now that um, uh, my production has gone full circle, so I'm... I'm Uh Aha.
0: I just uh, did a quick little flick to uh, a screen of um your website there of just some of the effects so when you say you've you've only got a few there uh it's yeah i can see them they're actually covered up by a whole bunch of other little windows i've got going there so i can't see it too well but hopefully people got a, a quick little glimpse of that mm. amplifier design yes you 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 went from from doing the pedals and amps i'm assuming would be a lot more complicated
1: to be building uh yeah I mean, look. I must admit, I do find the amps a lot more satisfying, mm-hmm. uh, just from a from a technical perspective. Um, uh, the, the the pedals are a much more straightforward affair. So, uh, I mean, amp amps. I have been mucking around with on and off for, you know, all the way back to to, to my teenage years. Uh, but my first crack at a um, commercial amp design was, in fact, well, I, I designed two amplifiers. Um, a big amplifier, which, which never made it into, into production, um, which was actually an eight channel amplifier. Whoa. Uh, yes. Uh, now there, there are, uh, um, rumors about, uh, about the, uh, uh, correlation between, uh, the number of channels and genitalia and, uh and uh, I'd like to uh, confirm that those rumors are in fact true. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to compensate for something. No, 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 no. <laughs> this, this, uh, this conversation is going in a very strange direction. Oh, that's okay. To, uh- that's
0: okay. I like that. I like that. I'm just going to say when, when I said I went to the screenshot and I had this happen before and I, I know why it's because I'm using the Bluetooth, but I actually lost your audio for a second then as I went to your webpage. So I do apologize folks. Thanks. You, thank you for letting me know in the chat. Uh, Note to self, get on top of that. Every time I go to a screenshot, it does lose the guest for a second. I think I know why. But, yeah, my apologies, folks. I know about that, so I won't let that happen. Uh, so you said you had the eight channels built into
1: the yeah, one amp. That's,
0: yeah. Was that something that actually went into production or was that no, – so,
1: No, no, it didn't. Yeah. So what I thought I'd do is I thought, okay, that's a, that's a little bit ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so what I did was I released my, my small baby amp, which was the, the Revelation, which is a four-channel, twelve-mode MIDI switching four-effects loop um, deal. So that was uh, <clears throat> that was um, at, at a time I think where where um, obviously uh, modeling amps were really starting to take off. Yep, and I had a look at a lot of other uh, you know big uh, amplifiers. And um, one of the things that I saw that was missing from the market was, um, you know, all of the big amps kind of had a, had a signature sound to them. Mm-hmm. So just before I released the revelation, I think Marshall came out with the uh, JVM. And, uh, oh, I mean, I, I was very excited about it. Went down to, to the guitar store and tried it out. But, but for me, just to my ears at least, it kind of sounded like um, 12 modes of, of Marshall. They mm-hmm. all had kind of a Marshall sound to them. Sure. And uh, I also owned a, a, a Messer Boogie Road King. I mean, for me, I, I was very excited when I saw the specs of the Road king, you know, all the tube switching and all the, once again, 12 different channel voicings. Um, but it all kind of sounded like Mesa. Mm. And so I thought to myself, uh, there's an opportunity here to do an amplifier, which kind of does what the, the, the digital modeling stuff does, um, which is really to provide you with 12 fairly distinct sounds. Um yeah, so that that was the the genesis of the idea for for the Revelation. So I then went to Nam in two thousand and eight, uh, and and uh, took that over with me. Um, yeah, so that that was that was my first foray in, into amps, uh, which then kind of spurred a whole bunch of uh, other amps that that uh, went into production after that.
0: Okay, so with the Revelation, that's the one that's got all the the effects loops and everything. Built into yeah, it as that's well, right. yeah? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So essentially, yeah, a, a whole rack switching system, which yeah, I, exactly,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: How did you find that for um, for maintenance? If something was to go wrong in there, that's a hell of a lot of stuff to pack into a, into an app.
1: Well, well actually, what ended up happening was um, it wasn't so much a maintenance issue, it was um, really just an assembly issue. So the very first amp I made as compact as possible, but it meant that if I did need to assemble it, I had to assemble it in a very particular order and once a... You know, once one component went in, if I needed it to remove that, I had to remove a whole bunch of other ones, and it was just a nightmare to, to um to to build. And then I thought, oh man, it's going to be a nightmare for maintenance as well. Yeah. So then I ended, I ended up moving to it to a version two where I kept a very similar design, but but uh, increased the size of the chassis just to make it a little bit uh, easier for me to um, uh, to assemble. But um, yeah, I mean, I still sell a couple of those amps every, not very many. Um, yeah. They, they are a bit of a pain to build obviously given, given the fact how, how complex they are. but um, the other thing I think that was really interesting and I think this also came out of my own experience with, with digital modeling stuff. so I had kind of a, a an tube version of digital modeling. Uh, <clears throat> what I found with a lot of customers I go you know hey finding the ad they go oh, fantastic you know you know channel two, uh, mode three is awesome and channel 4 mode one is awesome. I go, okay, what about the other 10 modes? And they go, oh, no, I don't use those. Um, so then I kind of went, oh, well, uh, maybe this amp does a little bit too much. Sure. And m- maybe what I need to be doing is, is kind of focusing on a particular genre or a particular style of amp and then producing simpler amplifiers that then really nail in, uh, you know, nail that particular sound. And so that, that they're the amps, actually, for me, that that, that uh, sell a lot better, Um
0: Okay. Well, I guess with the the simpler ones, uh, people could use overdrives and other virtual preamps, I guess, to, to shape the tone if there's a particular flavor they want, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And look, I think for me as well, given the fact that uh, my uh, primary bread and butter is in fact the the, the pedals, um, I do have a particular sensitivity to the applicability of pedals to amplifiers in the sense that I want to make sure that all the amps that I build actually play really well with pedals mm-hmm. uh because that's where i came from yep. um you know and and uh i think uh, for me as well uh the variety of particularly amplifier clean channels um uh made really shape the way I did, I did pedal design so with with uh, with pedal design one of the things that i always like to do is is not assume a particular amplifier that the pedal's being plugged into uh, so people often complain that my, my stuff has got uh, a lot of uh, knobs and switches, but, but that's really um, grew out of the engineering problem, uh, yeah. you know, of, of you know, not knowing how much top end there was going to be on, on, on an amplifier. Do they have a bright cap across the gain control? Uh, you know, is the mid range really script or is it really prominent? Uh, so just having enough controls in there for people to be able to, to then shape the sound. Uh, of, of the pedal to suit the the, the, the platform yeah.
0: okay so in, in terms of um, inspiration for these channels that, that you've got in the, in the amps what, what are the benchmarks for you like because um, I, I asked that knowing that people tell me I'm, I'm no engineer but people tell me there's three main basic circuits that everything's based on the, the fender Marshall and Vox and that pedal uh, overdrive pedals all react differently to those circuits mm. Mm. What are the benchmark amps for you that when you're building multiple-channel amps, um, what's the inspiration? Yeah.
1: Well, I, I guess it's interesting because it's it's changed. So uh, back when I started the business, I thought, okay, so what happens in, in a regular Turing scenario? In a regular Turing scenario, you're going to end up with some kind of big fender mm-hmm. for, that you hire yep. or a uh, – uh, jcm 800 or something something along those lines yep um and so they were the ones that i had in the back of my mind as 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 uh, pedals now it's different i mean i think uh, very sadly with the um slow uh, demise of live music um and kind of a, a generation of guitarists that are now becoming um, whose experience is predominantly a, a recording experience? Mm-hmm. I think it really changes the way that uh, that uh, uh, pedal design is approached. Um, so yeah, so, so now I'm I'm actually thinking more along the lines of okay, so this person might take my pedal and plug it into an Axe FX or, um, yeah. Um. Do you do you find that uh, pedals react
0: differently to an Axe FX versus uh, a tube amp? Like I know personally, if I'm if I'm watching guitar uh, demos, product demos mm. online, mm. and they're doing everything through an Axe FX, mm. that to me I'm thinking I I don't play through a modeller. Oh, so, sometimes mm. I do, and if I do, it's all built in there. Mm. Um, I want to be using an, an analog front end, and and there's a lot of uh, modular preamps these days, which you can run mm. through speaker IRs and get a monster mm. tone. Mm. How do you feel about that? About running your pedal into a modeler versus a real tube amp
1: yeah i mean look obviously with with the real tube amp there's there's a lot of magic there and look the model is getting better and better and th- there's plenty of scenarios i think where the use of a modeler is really justified you know and and you know the reality of touring these days i, I completely get it and um i actually find that kind of technology actually quite exciting um, i'm not uh, opposed to that technology at all but th- look th- there's there's something about a tube amp which there's just an immediacy there that you just cannot get from a modeler hmm. um from a purely technical perspective you know um i mean there's all sorts of complexities that happen with the input impedance and the miller capacitance and um and the way that the power supply reacts but even beyond that i mean i think um one of the you know one of the reasons that if you listen to an acdc album that it's just magic is because you know that they were they, they were we're getting not not squealing feedback, but there's a feedback that happens when um, your your um, amplifier speaker is actually, you know, creating sound pressure. It changes the way that strings themselves vibrate, um, and I think that we've we've lost that connection with with uh, modern recording techniques. It sounds fine. It sounds. Um, you know, uh, very um, controlled and and, and uh, for the average punter, I, I completely get that they don't, um, um, uh, you know, that it doesn't really make that much difference. It doesn't really even make that much difference uh, to me, but I just think that that real uh, controlled environment, we, we are losing some of that magic of of uh, real amps, real bands, it's all the in-between stuff that's the magic, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's not, you know, it's it's for for example, for modellers versus tube amps. It's not so much the 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 chords or the notes that sound wrong, but it's the pick attack, mm-hmm. and it's the the sound of, of of that your fingers make when you slide on the strings. It's that it's that ability to be able to immediately locate your your sound source. Uh, you know, to go right, my sound is coming from right there as opposed to somewhere in the distance and it's being then projected to me. There's, yeah.
0: Yeah. I I often bring up when people ask me my opinion on the modelers that a lot of the time they sound great if you just want to practice at home and not play with a band. But Mm. for me, you really notice it when you're playing in a band situation with another guitar player who's using a real tube amp and even recording wise. So I've had the Kempers and the Axe FX's yeah. and the Helixes, yeah. uh, And the n- most notable thing for me has been the way they sit in a mix. Yeah. I had an Axe FX 2, perhaps, going back a few years ago now, and I was trying to yeah. record some guitar parts for, for an artist that I was producing a record for. I struggled for weeks trying to get a sound that would sit in the mix that if it sat where it should, you could actually hear the notes that were being played. Yeah. If I turned it up to a point where you could hear the notes, it drowned out everything else. And I, and I know yeah. about pulling out the frequencies that shouldn't be there. Mm. It's just the edges of the sound. It doesn't have mm. its own little place. Yeah. I actually bought an Ignator tweaker amp online and got it sent over from, from America. So it was the first one in Australia. Um, and within five minutes of turning that thing on, I'd recorded mm. this track that I'd labored on for... Yeah. For yeah. weeks. So yeah. that's, for me, where it comes in. And I'm not sure if that's actually miking the speaker or not. I don't think it is, you know, because I've been going down the road of using speaker IRs uh, a yeah. lot lately. Yeah. And mm. just talking to Steve Stevens last week, and he said that once he, once he tried speaker IRs, mm. uh, that that's what they're doing live now, and he his sound guy just can't believe yeah. the difference that made. Um, is that something you've ever considered putting into your amps as, as an option of having a speaker
1: IR out? Yeah. A load up? Yeah, look, look, definitely. Um, I mean, I, I'm actually um, working on a couple of designs at the moment. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, because there is that shift, I think, to, to um, uh, indoor, you know, bedroom playing. Yep. Um, even even amongst the guitarists who are quite proficient and, and, and really professional. Yeah. Um, yeah, then there's definitely a, a shift towards that. And I've, I've mucked around with uh, – I've got a pretty good analog design for for a uh, speaker simulator that I've uh, uh, put on a, on a couple of uh, custom amp builds that I've done for people. Nice. Um, and, uh, yeah, some of these designs that I'm working on, some smaller uh, – physically smaller and lower power amplifiers are going to have um, uh, built-in uh, analog um uh, speaker simulation. I, I I would actually like to go down the road of uh, some digital stuff uh, yep. with my background in, in uh, software engineering as well. Hopefully it shouldn't be too difficult, but uh, it's been a while since I've uh, uh, done that for a living. But, um, yeah, yeah, I mean, uh, IR technology itself is quite simple. Okay. Uh, yeah, uh, so, um, yeah, it should be, It should be. yeah, it's something I'd, I'd definitely like to, to explore. You know. Sure. Now, you said earlier about... Um
0: about the tubes not being correct, and we're actually looking at distorting them a lot. Mm. You've got some uh, lower wattage amps, which you're going to get a lot more drive out of. Well, not drive, but just that sponginess out of the the tube section. Mm. But you've also got some incredibly powerful amps as well, haven't you? Like, a, is it 160 watts or something I saw on your website
1: yeah, that's actually a little bit conservative. I mean, most of them actually put out close um, at one hundred and ninety. But uh, it's it's better to uh, to uh, undersell than oversell.
0: Yeah, and and are you doing that so that you have that that extra headroom so that you're not colouring the sound with the power amp section?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean that, that that comes from a particular uh, stylistic need. You know, that, so that the amplifier that you're referring to is the Megalith, which is a um uh an amplifier that i I designed specifically for for high gain playing and so with high gain playing the the um the direction it's still going now is really uh you know uh percussiveness uh you know very quick response uh to be able to to um uh you know to to use the the analogy of of kind of driving a car you you know it's it's it corners beautifully yeah um uh yeah, so because of that, it's the kind of design where you don't want the, the, the power amplifier to be uh, have too much momentum, you know, where it just, you can't um, uh, follow the nuances uh, as quickly as possible. So because of that, yeah, headroom really is, is key. Um, the other thing as well is, you know, uh, uh, with a lot of heavier music that requires more bass, um what happens is is your ear naturally reacts more to the, to the mids and to the, to the high frequencies. So you feel the bass, but you uh, hear the, the mids and, and the highs. So if you want to have the mids and the highs at a particular level, and your bass is in fact much higher than that, then you need that headroom in, in the power amplifier so that you don't run out of um, uh, headroom and dynamics. So, so what happens is basically if, if your bass is going up and, and you turn up the volume, if, you, if your amplifier isn't powerful enough, then you kind of hit the rails very quickly. And then as you turn up, then the bass doesn't go anywhere. It just starts to distort and mush up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so, so that, that's the technical reason for why I decided to go down that particular road. But, um, uh, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting because uh, <clears throat> I, th- I think as well what's happened is that there's a lot of kind of internet folklore uh, associated with... Uh, with uh, uh, power amps and so so often I'll, I'll, I'll be contacted by people who say you know even the small version of that amplifier uh, is, is an 80 watt puts out you know more like 90 watts and people will contact me and say oh no that's way too much I only need 15 watts um, but I really want a big you know bassy brutal amp sound of it I try to explain to them well, well trust me you know uh, that 90 watts is going to deliver that for you because you're not going to run out of you're not going to hit the rails mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, yeah, but but uh, but because they're online and they're hearing people talk about, you know, no, it's better to have a low water amp and you drive the power amp. Well, that doesn't work for metal, hmm. uh, for for kind of modern metal. Yeah, um, yeah. So so the, the kind of mi- mixing up genres a little bit there.
0: Yeah, yeah. I know uh, when I'm looking what I'm looking for in a good hard rock metal amp is the ability to palm mute and have that low end. Pop forward in the speaker, not compress yeah. back into itself. Yep. Yep. Is that more? It, that's to do with the headroom of the wattage, or would that come down to things like power supply and sag and oh, all that kind of yeah, thing?
1: Yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, so much, um, uh, so much. Uh, there, th- th- there are so many variables in that. I mean, it's 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 the um, how much sag does your power su- uh, uh, power amp? Uh, well, excuse me, a power transformer have. Uh, you know, some tra- power transformers are designed for up to twenty percent sag. So you know, they're operating at a voltage, and then as soon as you you, you ask for a lot of current, the, the voltage drops by about twenty percent. Sure. Uh, there's also then, you know, those um, uh, transformers and then charging capacitors. How big are those capacitors? So even if the even if the transformer can deliver the current, if you ask for too much current for the capacitors, then the voltage on the capacitors uh, drops as well, as well as getting you know um, uh, AC ripple on those capacitors as well. Uh, how much, uh, you know, your your um, negative feedback is also a very important uh, aspect of, of delivering that kind of punch as well. So your standard amplifier negative feedback configuration works, and the more headroom you have, the, 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 the better it works. But there are other ways of getting punch out of a power amplifier. Um, uh, that involve very careful use of negative feedback uh, in the power amp section to deliver that. And then there's also your output transformer. Um, what kind of frequency response does the output transformer have? You know there's a whole bunch of um, you know the, the, the more the power goes up on a typical transformer then the lower so the higher the uh, cutoff frequency becomes for, for, the, um, uh, for, for the transformer as a result of uh, uh, core saturation. Uh, So there's also those things to keep in mind as well. So, um, you know, if you're using, for example, a typical Fender sort of design. uh, So this is a sweeping generalization. But if you grab a a 100 watt uh, Fender transformer, then uh, they're designed to be to just be able to give you 100 watts at about 100 hertz. Uh, So if you push them a little bit more than that, then that frequency goes up and you can't really uh, get the full power at lower frequencies. Okay. If you're detuning your guitar, it's not really going to work. Um, yeah. So there's just so many considerations.
0: It, it sounds like there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes into play. You might gain ten percent from this, ten percent from that, but collectively, you know, if you had five of those things, you're going to be fifty percent better, I guess, huh?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 And then there's all sorts of interesting. Uh, uh, kind of more artistic things as well to do with um, component choice and component layout and the way that you do the PCB design. And, yeah, just so much stuff. It's really uh, – the way I describe it to people, um, and I'm sure a lot of the amp designers that you'll speak to uh, will say it's a lot of it is, is more like art than it is engineering. Um, and 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 I often describe, you know, when I, when I, when I design something and I, and I stick up a – photo on facebook i'll say this is my art i'm not saying it to to be um dramatic it really feels like an artistic uh, like i i I feel like i'm painting i feel like i've got a canvas there in front of me and i'm throwing colors down and sometimes i don't exactly know i'll start a design because i'm feeling really inspired but i'm not entirely sure where it's going to go uh and it's as i'm doing it it evolves and i'm very free with the way that i do it yeah cool so cool yeah.
0: And have you come up with some, some great happy accidents doing it that way?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, uh, you know, certainly in terms of uh, feature sets or um, uh, even down to, you know, track placement, uh, you know, ha- has had an impact on tone. And, you know, it's done something that I didn't quite expect, you know, uh, maybe a little bit of you know, a small bit of positive feedback somewhere has produced a little notch in the frequency response that gives a, a pleasing um, Uh, effect but it's really interesting because as those happy accidents happen and you learn you go you know why the hell did that happen and then you kind of figure out oh i'll put that track next to that one and so there's a little bit of positive feedback and that becomes then something that you then put in your back pocket a little bit of um um you know something to add to your arsenal
0: absolutely cool cool now have you experimented much with designing rack gear or you would you much prefer having everything in the one head off the one power supply?
1: Oh, look, I, I'm a child of the '80s, so there's a. Same. I, I've, I've got a soft spot in my heart for rack gear, you know, buying the guitar mags and seeing, you know, Kirk Hammett with a giant fridge. Ada, uh, there you go. I got an Ada <laughs> right behind me there. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And look, I think with that shift that we're seeing towards. Um, uh, uh, for want of a better term, kind of home recording. Um, there is going to be more and more demand, I think, for, for, for racks. So I'm hoping rack will come back. I'm, I'm doing a couple of rack designs at the moment uh, for, for some some valve preamps and maybe some programmable stuff as well. Cool. Um, but, yeah, for me, it's just an issue of time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think part of the problem as well, I've, I've got a real short attention span. So I get really excited about a design and I'll sit there and work on it for for a week non-stop and I don't get any sleep and my my wife and kids complain that they don't see me and then and then, I, and then I'll go, oh, no, I better go back to, I've got pedal orders to do, I better go back and do pedals and then I'll go back and do that and then I'll go back to the design and go, nah, oh, forget it. Yeah.
0: Sounds like you yeah. might have uh, ADD like me. I only just discovered a couple of years ago that uh, I have ADD which – Everything made sense when they went through well, all the actually, symptoms. Well,
1: actually, actually, I have had a psychologist say that to me. I do have some ADD type. Um, um, uh, yeah, I display some yeah. ADD type. Um, Just the speeches. symptoms,
0: and yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's not such a bad thing. And I think most no. people who are creative and can focus, uh, when I when I. Was told as well that I was like, "Oh, what? Really? No, that that doesn't sound right." And they went through all the symptoms, and they said it's actually desirable trait to have because you can be extremely focused on something if you're really into something. And it sounded like Mm. it when you said it; you're just obsessed with it. Mm. But for me, I I, one of the, the classic symptoms is if I don't give a fuck about something. I really don't give a fuck about something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they, they say that's, yeah, that's one of the, the things. Like, I, I, fa- you asked me about my intro and everything at the start of the show, and, and you seemed surprised when I said, no, I, I do it all myself. Yeah, that's um, awesome. I, uh, did really well at film and television in high school. Yeah. And I can remember my teacher pulling me aside and saying, man, you are so far ahead of everybody else, but I have mm. to fail you because, the assignments, you know, where you've got to do a review on, you know, the movie of mice and men and stuff, you just don't do it. I'm like, that doesn't interest me, man. Uh, wow. So, it, it could be a good thing that, you know, that that focus. Mm. Michael, I wanted to ask you, I haven't had a look inside any of your amps. Uh, are you <laughs> a PCB kind of guy or is it a point-to-point
1: uh pcb yep um so where that started for me really was um dreams of having a uh, huge amplifier empire yep and i thought okay well i'm gonna need to make sure that i do it pcb yep. uh, in order to uh, make it to uh, producible yep uh, so i've always got uh, uh, an eye to production the reality is i At the moment, I'm building all my amps by hand. So, ironically, doing them point-to-point might actually be a little bit quicker and a little bit cheaper. (laughs) Oh, wow. Okay, okay. (laughs) Than a PCB. But, um, look, there's definitely a reproducibility that you get with PCB, and there's also uh, higher component uh, density. So, there are some things, for example, where I might use a microcontroller and a whole bunch of switching logic, and doing that on PCB is a lot, um, more convenient than, than, than doing that point-to-point. But, look, I've, I've got absolutely nothing... Uh, <clears throat> I'm not interested in, in PCB versus point-to-point wars. I think that, I think that P, uh, point-to-point amps do have a particular sound. And over the years, I've kind of learnt um, how to coax some of that out of my uh, PCB design. Okay. Um, so the stuff i'm doing at the moment has more of a point-to-pointy sound to it and really it's about you know managing your ground planes making sure that you're not um that 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 you do the track layout in a way where the capacitive coupling doesn't rob any of your top end and like you said with that 10 percent thing adding up you know if you're if you're not careful with with your track layout um uh, uh you know and you rob you know half a dB from the top end at one valve stage, and then half a dB at the next, and half a dB at the next, and then let's say you do a uh, PCB layout of a a, um, blackface Deluxe Reverb. All that little bit of robbing uh, of, of, say, your top end, uh, because that's often where it happens, uh, does add up. And then you plug into it and go, oh, that sounds fine." And then you plug into a real Deluxe Reverb and go, oh, there's so much chime and, you know, but I've got exactly the same circuit. What's what, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I mean, so, so just just on a personal note, I'm I'm very intrigued uh, as to how the new Soldano venture is going to go because the photos I've seen of, of the PCV is, uh, I mean, the, the the PCV doesn't appear to have been designed by Mike Soldano, so it's it's probably part part of the uh, boutique amp distribution. Um, um, Uh, Yeah, someone from the design team uh, did it, and they did it very efficiently, but it's very different. And there's a part of me that goes, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to scope up the two of them, an original slow and and that, and and see what difference the PCB has made to the tone.
0: Mm, Interesting you should say that, because um, actually if you Google SLO 100, the first thing that comes up is me, (laughs) a video that I did a couple of years ago. I borrowed one off a, a local local friend. Thanks, Ruan. Um, So, and I do know the guys at Boutique Amps Distribution, and I would really like to do a a comparison of the new one, say the 30-watt version, uh, to the original SLO 100 just to see Mm. if there is much of a difference. Mm.
1: Uh, Interesting, yeah. Interesting to compare the 100 against the 100.
0: Even better Mm. still getting yeah. one out to me uh, being in Australia might be a, a bit yeah. hard, though just yeah. a, with freight yeah. and
1: everything but yeah and that, that, the thing the thing that, that that'll be interesting won't be the you know what sound you have when you have got a sustained power cord that that should be the same but like I said it's going to be in the you know sliding your, your fingers on the strings it's going to be in the pick attack it's all those little things where that you know a couple of percent here and there will actually have a have an impact on on, on the sound but um, yeah Um Obviously, I, I, I um, you know wish nothing but the best for Mike Solana and his new venture and all that sort of stuff. So it's not at all an attempt at a criticism, but it's just yep. a, kind of a, kind of a technical observation of, of of the the changes that happen as a result of um, yeah PCB layout. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, Mike was did have plans on completely retiring the
0: brand because yeah, he's yeah. been a one man show this whole time, mm. uh, and. I do believe it was when he was uh, on the show Tone Talk with my friends Dave Friedman and Mark Kazanski that mm. he was talking about retiring, hang up the boots. And Dave had a word to him afterwards and said, man, you, you should be talk to these guys and, and license yeah. your design. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's kept it around. So I'm very interested to, to see how yeah. that goes.
1: And look, I'm, I'm really glad that they've done that. I mean, you know, the SLO is such a significant part of guitar history. You know, it'd be a pity to see that... Um, uh, you know, just uh, uh, consigned to the, uh, to the history books of guitar tone. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's great to, to see that still going. And I do feel very sorry for Mike Soldano. Obviously, he's been quite um, ripped off by <laughs> quite, quite, quite a few other designers. Um, yeah. Dual rectifier,
0: um, straight out with yeah. it. Dual rectifier, wire oh, for yeah. yeah. wire copy with a different power amp section.
1: Yeah, yeah, with a, with a, with a very weak power section. Uh, different uh, um, gain control. So if you take a rectifier and you change the the plot from uh from the 250k to a 500k, then it becomes almost identical uh, uh, to the um, yeah. And obviously that they've they've changed the EQ a little bit to add a little bit uh, high end cut uh, in the rectifier, yeah, uh, high and mid cut, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, that's what kind of what gives it that uh, that extra bassiness. But um, yeah, I do do feel very sorry for him. H- having said that, uh, you know I, I um uh. I, I am very tempted to go. Oh, you know, if I was to do a slow, what would it look like? And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm building one for myself as a, um, uh, just a, as a personal project. Nice. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, so, a, it's I, such a, a
0: different sound to some of the other hot rodded Marshall designs out there. Um, mm. And, but when when you're when you're listening critically to things. Mm. Does it all come through visually for you? I, I know when I'm mixing or, if, um, mm. or listening to amplifiers and trying to critique, there's v- different visualizations that come to mind for me. Uh, and just talking about the, the Soldano, for me, I, I have this sound that pops in my mind when I hear that, that distortion. Mm. And it's going to sound really funny, but, you know, what's the cartoon done by the Simpsons guy, um, Futurama? Futurama, yep, yep, yep. Bender's mouth. Mm. Just that grid. Yeah. That's what the breakup on a Sultano SL1 sounds to me. Right. To be like. <laughs> Whereas when I listen to um, Dave Friedman's designs, and I've said this to him, and he's like oh, very interesting. I'm mm. I can hear, I see in my mind, mm. when I'm looking at a speaker, it's like someone has their mouth open and there's that little bit that hangs down in the back of your throat and it's vibrating. Mm. That's his breakup to me. And it just sits just in front. (laughs) And it's the weirdest thing. I also, smells, I relate to frequencies. Like if somebody drops a fart or something, and it could be like, oh, that's really cutting one to two K. Or it could be a, oh man, that was a 200 or a 150, that one. Um, Is that, do you experience the same thing? Visualizations?
1: Uh, Look, 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 definitely, definitely, um, there is a synesthetic uh, dimension, uh, to uh, to tone, uh, but it is actually quite interesting in the sense that, um, you know, there's an evolutionary argument that really that synesthetic, um, uh, uh, trait is a very important, uh, evolutionary tool for us, you know, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, no, no. Definitely for me, I think that there's a, there's a real c- crossover across the senses. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, but uh, I mean, f- for me, it's it's really pro- predominantly a feel issue. So, th- you know, that feel you get from an amplifier um, and the way that it makes the air around you vibrate. You know, they all have their own signature, um, and that that that's that's a dare I say, you know. It's it's a beautiful thing. I love the fact that a slow is not a Friedman, is not a Mi, is not a Bogner, it's not you know, yep. not a Fender. Yep. You know, yep. each of them has their own uh, signature, and, I, and yeah, and I, and I really love um, kind of um, tracing through the signature of the designer as well. I mean, for me, as, as somebody who, who looks at the guts of amps a lot, um, you know, there there, there are certain Tonal as well as, as physical signatures that you can see that come from a, from a particular designer, you know, um, uh, yeah, and and, and so, so I really appreciate those kind of fingerprints mm-hmm. that you get that you get with sounds, you know. Dave Friedman's a great example, you know. He's got a particular signature that that uh, that carries across uh, all of his designs, um, uh, which is which is really quite quite unique, and, and obviously Mike Saldano and. Um, I'm a, I'm a really big fan of Bogner amps. I think that they do a, a great, um, um, you know, they, they're wonderful both tonally as well from a design perspective. Okay. You know, looking inside a Bogner amplifier is a beautiful experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so, uh,
0: now, now, you mentioned the, the, just the feel of amps, and that's one thing I think tube amps have over the modelers is just how it feels to play them. Mm. When you're tweaking, do you sit there with guitar in hand as you're making yeah, adjustments?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I think uh, part of the problem for me is that that process never actually stops. So uh, even a- an old design like, like the Revelation, uh, which I've been building now for, for 13 years, I still tweak it. I still sit there and go, oh, look, I'm, I don't know, I'm not quite happy with that or um you know the um uh I, i'm not, you know as as uh, somebody uh, as as everybody matures you kind of uh, acquire a bank of experience and so when i look at when i look back at the revelation design i think uh you know i was too focused on this particular aspect of design where really i should have considered a b and c as well uh not just d Yeah. Yeah. So because of that, I'm I'm constantly tweaking. Every time I come across that happy accident, and I put it in my back pocket, and and I know that it's there, it makes me then question everything that I've done before. Mm And I go, oh, if only I'd you know done this particular thing with the track layout on the Revelation. Oh, if only I'd I'd used high capacitance shielded cabling to connect the the gain controls to the switching relays you know i would have had a little bit more top-end magic and you know yeah yeah
0: so what guitar is usually in your hand when you're doing your, your
1: tweaks or does it change look it, it, it changes um uh for me uh i think it's really important i mean th- th- there are guitars that are an, that are an indulgence for me that i that, that i love playing as beautiful instruments but they're not uh unique uh, sorry, they're not common instruments. So one of the things that's really important for me is to be respectful of the guitarist that's going to be playing the product. Okay. Um, so I, I love, for example, playing my Charles Celia guitar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got a couple of Crosley's. I love playing those. You know, both of them are you know, Australian-made guitars, beautiful instruments, but they're not instruments that a lot of people play. Mm-hmm. So when I'm designing, when I'm testing, I've got to play my... Um, uh, Les Paul. Uh, <laughs> I don't have a Les Paul, but I've, I've got a very nice, um, effectively an Epiphone uh, that I've had uh, Charles do some work on, some refrets and drop Seymour Duncan's into it, change the hardware, and, you know, it's it's, it's a quite a nice playing instrument. So got to play Les Paul, got to play a Strat, got to play a Tele. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, testing a metal amp with a Tele isn't the best choice. Funny you should say that, because uh, I did
0: a, an interview with Luke Palmer from Dead Letter Circus a few months ago now, and um, I was very surprised to learn that he was using a stock Telecaster
1: in, right, okay. to, to
0: play prog metal.
1: Yeah, okay, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, look, I actually think in terms of if you want to find out what your weakness of your amplifier is, me personally, i go for a Tele. Yep. A Tele is not a guitar that covers anything up. If there's something wrong, you're going to find it out with a telly. So, uh, t- t- uh, yes, yeah, so, so most of my stuff has a telly test, and it has to pass the telly test. Cool. Yeah, um, yeah so, so um, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, so, Michael, when I was talking to
0: uh, my friend Richard at uh, Hughes & Kettner a couple of weeks ago, um, he brought up that the technology in their new Black Spirit 200 amplifier Mm. Um, <clears throat> that their head designer stumbled on something from washing machine design uh, in, mm. in terms of their their knobs and being able to store where the knobs are. Have you come across technology from something completely different to, to guitar, which most people would think is irrelevant, that you've gone, yeah. hang on, that'll work in my designs? Does anything like that spring to mind to you?
1: Uh, <coughs> mm. That's a good question, actually. Um, Not really, um, I must admit, but probably what I have done is taken a a real engineering approach to it. Okay. Uh, So, for example, um, I um, uh, had a design uh, for for a uh, multi-voltage, high-voltage supply on on a... on an amplifier. one of the problems then is well what, what happens with the um with the bias voltage you need to constantly readjust the bias voltage every time you change the high voltage in a in a in a uh, regular fixed biased amplifier so then kind of going back to engineering principles uh went and designed a, um, a negative voltage multiplier using discrete components um so that's not something that you would find in a guitar amplifier uh it actually just comes out of um uh uh real fundamental electronics design um yeah and, and so kind of implemented stuff like that um it's also really great i mean i, I you know my father is still a, a very great influence on me and uh because you know, he's got a real outsider's perspective on all of this stuff so it's always great to go oh look dad I, you know i've done this and often he'll just go oh why didn't you do it like that you know um cool yeah so, so he's, he's got uh, uh yeah, so he's uh, been very influential from that perspective.
0: Nice one, nice one. Mm. I was just scanning through the comments there, and uh, Nick Kane is just asked me if I can ask you uh, the difference between the original Iron Duke and the version 2.
1: Yeah. Uh, so th- when I designed the original uh, Iron Duke, I had a particular um, goal in mind with that. So I wanted to make it... Uh, fairly simple so not too not too complex uh so there were some things in there that uh i didn't implement because i was trying to trying to hit a particular price point so one of those for example was the effects loop so the original object just has a simple insert effects loop so the output of the 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 master volume control goes to to the jack uh effects send jack and then if you've got nothing plugged in, it just shorts the return jack and then sends it to the to the parent file. So things like that that were um, kind of a, a budgetary uh, constraint, I kind of thought, oh, no. There's a part of me that feels very guilty uh, releasing a product when I know I could have done it better. So so that, that, that passive loop always bugged me. So I thought, no, no, I need to um, fix the... Um, uh, the loop so then i i, I implemented a, a proper effects loop the other thing that i did as well was um uh one of the big changes i think was actually as a result of that constant tweaking constant listening um after i released the iron duke version one what i did was i that was when i had a a real uh, revelation in terms of my pcb layout uh, technique and uh just as an experiment i thought okay I'm going to keep the components exactly where they are on the PCB. Uh, I'm going to keep the uh, tracks connecting the components exactly the same, but I'm going to completely redo the way I do my ground connections. And I'll see if that the amplifier sounds different. And so I did that, and all of a sudden, all the top end just opened up in the amplifier. And I went, "Oh, yeah, okay." So all those little 1%s and 2%s all over the place where we're really robbing the top end. Yeah. So so that was another uh, change that I made. Um, so really completely rethought the way that I, that I did the PCB layout in order to make sure that it has a much more present point-to-point kind of vibe to it. Okay. Um, just little tweaks as well in terms of the, uh, the, the way that the tone stacks work. Yeah. Um, uh, so the version one was probably a little bit too dark of an amplifier. So um, what I did was I actually borrowed a little trick from uh, from uh, Bogner uh, f- for the treble control, where um, the treble control is, is now an audio taper as opposed to a linear taper. Uh, so it has a lot more um, uh, range on this in the second half than it does in the lower half. Because what I found with the IB was that people weren't turning the treble down; they were always turning the treble up. And going, oh, I just need a little bit more. So, yeah, uh, you know, just change little things like that. There's, there's um, many more um, tonal options as well. So, um, with uh, the version one, um, there were two modes per channel. Uh, now there's uh, three modes per channel. Uh, one of the things I found with version one was, for me personally, I'd loved the sound of on the clean channel just cranking the master volume all the way up and only using the gain control as as the, the one uh, volume control it just gave a much more present immediate vintage sort of um sound so yeah so that was one of the things i did on version two was uh, i actually dropped the um uh the the, the master volume for, for the uh, for the clean channel so that you've only got the, the input input gain control is is the only one but then that that freed up space on the front panel so then i then gave the boosted clean its own gain control so there's a a lot more flexibility there in terms of the tone yeah
0: cool so so michael going into these i I like to ask questions so i can learn myself and uh, am i right in thinking that on an amplifier design if it's a passive design everything on 10 is just letting the full signal through but with an active as you go past 12 o'clock you're actually adding to it, it. is that
1: right yeah yeah well in in most cases i mean in most cases there are there are are tricks around that so for example you could have a a step up by transformer a coupling transformer so you can actually get more voltage out than you than you put in but but you get 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 less current out Uh, so there are tricks around that but as a general rule yes so for example with eq typical uh, eq networks on guitar amps are passive Mm -hmm. so if you measure the voltage going into the eq the voltage that you get out of it is always less. So the, 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 so, so the EQ basically is only a cutting EQ. Okay. Not uh, yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and yours is is based on that passive design.
1: Oh well, well that that was um, uh, in terms of my EQ, yes. Yep. But uh, but my reference uh, previously to passive was about the effects loop. Okay. Yeah. So so the effects loop had had no active uh, elements in there driving the effects. So 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 in other words, when you plugged something into the effects loop, it just saw the was connected directly to, to the volume control of, of, of the channel. Um, okay. And there was no recovery stage after that, so you had to rely on your effects unit to be able to drive the, the power amp appropriately. Sure, sure. Um,
0: so mm. when you're actually voicing your amplifiers, are you doing that with all the, the knobs at 12 o'clock or the EQ wise?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'd like to. Um, but. Um, uh, so, so yeah, so, so I always voice the amps for, for me personally, and also get get feedback from other musicians. So I, I like to do a lot of beta testing as well with new designs as well, uh, where where I send it out to to, to to mates who who are um, you know once back when people were gigging uh, were gigging mates yeah. uh, to try stuff out and, and tell me tell me how it went. Yeah. Um, but I like to voice my stuff so that at twelve o'clock I get the sound that that I I imagine, but. I'm also um, – I have a bit of a uh, uh, um, fear of disappointing people. I don't like disappointing people. So my fear is always that my idea of a good tone is not going to be someone else's. Yep. So because of that, I like to give people maybe a few too many options. Uh, I like to make sure that my EQs have a lot big sweep on them. Uh, So that just in case my idea of a good EQ is not someone else's idea of a good EQ, I like to make sure that I give them lots of options for how much top end and attack there is or how, you know, so yeah, so I tend to over option my designs and I look very enviously at, at very confident amp designers who go, this sounds bloody awesome and that's just the way it is. Sure.
0: So <laughs> what speaker cab are you actually doing your testing on? And do you have – do you sell speaker cabs as part of your, your amplifier line? Not anymore.
1: No. I, I used to. Uh, but the speaker manufacturer I was uh, using uh, has uh, – there uh, yeah, let me backtrack a little bit. I like to make sure that my products are very well priced. So uh, I, I like to make sure that I bring the price point down as low as I can whilst keeping – you know, quality and engineering and reliability and everything as high as possible. So because of that, the approach that I took with my speaker cabs was I um, contracted a company in, in the US to do the um, um, uh, assembly, uh, but the minimum order on those is 50. So for a small manufacturer... That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, to, to have to, you know, so, so the, the first run of quad boxes that I ordered, I think, hang around for maybe six years so it's just a big investment to, to, to yeah. So unfortunately, I, I can't really do that uh, anymore. But in terms of cabs, I mean, I think once again, it's important to uh, pay proper respect to the guitarist who's going to use it. So because I don't provide cabs uh, now, I know that people are going to be playing. You know, it depends on the amplifier. So for example, I'm assuming that if somebody buys a 180 watt Megalith, that they're going to be plugged into a into a 210 um you know chances are they're going to have at least a, a pretty chunky 212 or a quad box yeah what 212 or quad boxes is going to be chances are it's either going to be a, a marshall cab yep you know, with a g12 t75s <laughs> yep that's what i got right there or or it's going to be you know a messer cab with with vintage 30s or something or orange cab with vintage 30s or something like that yeah yep. so I, I always make sure that i test against those sorts of benchmarks sure if i'm if i'm if i'm you know, I'm working on a couple of lower wattage amplifiers at the moment. So there's a pretty good chance that it's, you know, uh, it needs. I need to make sure it sounds good with a 112. Cool, cool. Um, if it doesn't sound good with a 112, if it needs a quad box for it to sound good, then I haven't done the design right. Okay. So, yeah, so, yeah, so it's really just about being as respectful as possible to the end user. Yep.
0: Um, it's funny, you, you said... Using the word quad box as I as I do, did you know that that's an Australian thing? That the rest of the yes, world don't yeah, say that. Yeah, I yeah. only just found that out recently. I did an oh, interview I, I, with Thomas Blug of Blue Guitar, yeah. and mid-sentence, uh, mid-interview, he said, "There's this word you guys use for four by twelve, and what, what, well, like a quad box?" And he goes, "That, yeah, nobody says that. That's Australian. <laughs> I had no idea until then."
1: Yeah, uh, I had no idea until you found that out. So I only learned that watching your channel.
0: Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, see, somebody does watch my channel. <laughs> so folks, please like, subscribe, all that stuff. I don't have That's that right. many subscribers just yet, but I'm getting a lot of a lot of comments from people internationally going, oh my God, I've just found your channel. I can't believe the guests that you've got lined up and everything. Yeah, this will be huge I'm, I'm- soon. I'm- you just keep I going.
1: I I do feel very much out of my depth uh, with the caliber of uh, guests that you typically have on. So, thank not you at very all. Much. Not <laughs> at all, Michael. I was actually
0: um, on a on a forum uh, groomed noodlers having a look around, and somebody had posted a, a clip of one of your amps, um, and I sort of left a, a little question there. Hey, uh, if I reached out to Michael and 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 organized him, and um, yeah, it was quite a few people, a lot of Canadians actually. That's it. Yes, please. Yes, please. So if any of you guys are actually in the house watching this live, um, here he is. And thank you guys for the suggestion. Actually, yeah, there's some people there saying quad box? Question mark? Ah, gotcha. 4 by (laughs) 12 Yeah. That's Brent from Philadelphia. Sorry, I read that wrong. Bent Tom from Philadelphia. Now, I did see a question back here if I go back. Okay, from Tony Batal. I hope i am saying that right.
1: Hey, Tony. How's it going?
0: Uh, you know Tony, do you? Yes. Yeah. What specific factors from the Diesel Herbert and Bogner Uberschall um, did you get the influence from in designing the Megalith series?
1: Yeah. Yeah, so the, the Megalith is actually quite interesting, uh, the design process that I went through with that. So I, I'm not a metal guy myself, but I actually love the challenge of metal. Um, uh, you know, it, it, you have to be a very careful designer. To be able to produce that much gain and keep everything stable, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I love the challenge of it. And you know, growing up uh, in the '80s and being, you know, into being into, uh, you know, what was, uh, you know, I I, I listened to, um, you know, all the all the regular big head culprits. Yep. Uh, of, of the time, so you know, so I, I do like a, a good chunky guitar sound. Um, uh, but I'm, I'm not a metal player. And, and certainly metal had evolved since since I grew up um, listening to it. Um, so I did an, an initial design of the amplifier. It had a lot of gain. But all of those factors that we were talking about, power supply and transformer and negative feedback and all that sort of stuff, was all fairly conventional. So there's a lot of uh, distortion going on, but it didn't sound metal. And I was like, oh... I thought that all I needed to do was distortion. So then I thought, you know what, I need to actually listen to what um, people are are doing. So I actually went up and and either borrowed or purchased a whole bunch of metal amps. Cool. Just to to see what modern metal actually sounded like. And the two standouts for me were the uh, Diesel Herbert and the Bogner Uberschall. The two of those were at, for my ears, were at Two complete opposites ends of the spectrum. The uh, the Herbert, particularly once um, you dined the gain control, was super tight, super compressed. Um, I know that with the Herbert, a lot of people say tight. What are you talking about? But you you, you literally have to have the gain control on full. And and the Herbert I had actually was um, I was lucky enough to um, uh, get my hands on the very first Herbert ever built. Wow. Yeah, so in fact, it, it turns out that it was actually one of five that um, uh, Peter Diesel um, uh, made as prototypes, and my one is actually number one. So so I, I, know, I know that the design has, has evolved since then, so maybe the current production ones don't quite do this, but uh, yeah, it was an interesting phenomenon with, with that particular Herbert where, yeah, at the end of its gain range, it really tightened up uh, the sound. Um, <clears throat> uh, it also sounded... Um, very compressed, and to the point where it almost sounded like you weren't listening to an amplifier, but you were listening to a recording of an amplifier. Ah. So that was that was really quite interesting for me. I, I, I took it over to a good mate, uh, Pete Reynolds' um, place. He's a, a wonderful uh, amp designer and somebody I really look up to uh, here in Sydney. Um, took it to his place, and he plugged into it and said, oh, it sounds like a modelling amp, which I, which I thought was, was, was a really interesting... Uh, um dis- description of it but uh, but what he was trying to get at was that it sounds really um uh finessed and very yeah like it had gone through a whole bunch of processing before you actually heard the sound coming out of the speakers <clears throat> and then i got my hands on a on an uber shell and that was the complete opposite the uber was just frightening in real life you know yeah. it just had so much it just felt like I was trying to attack you <laughs> as, a, as opposed to yes as, as, as opposed to the diesel which sounded beautiful and refined and huge and all that sort of stuff. but you didn't have that fear factor that you had with the, the uberchel. Um, and just the uberchel just had so much top end and so much sizzle and um, yeah so, so so for me they then became too loci. Uh, two different loci for kind of what modern metal amps sounded like, and that really had a big influence, I think, on on the way I approached the, the 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 design for the for the megalith. So for the megalith, I loved that tightness that you got out of the Herbert and the speed of the response when the gain's all the way up. But I didn't like the fact that when you turn the gain down, that it, that it loosened things up. And then by the same token, I loved the fact that with the Ubershell, it had this real immediacy to the to the tone. And just really felt quite present. To me, it felt a little bit too present, where it, like I said, it was almost scary to be in front of. So I kind of dialed that down a little bit with with, with my amp design. So those were the that were the two things that I, that I took from from the from the um, uh, Diesel and the Ubershul, two, two remarkable and very different amplifier designs that I have a lot of respect for. Um, yeah. So that was how, how my amp design was, was influenced.
0: Okay. Yeah. Now you you said about that immediacy. Um, do you find a lot of that comes from the power app section, whether you're using 6L6s versus EL34s, etc.? And what is your preference in output tubes?
1: I think it depends on the application. Um, so, uh, obviously, with something like the Iron Duke, then, then a good set of EL34s is what you want. With something like the Megalith, it's really about headroom and, uh, you know, so I so that's designed around the uh, larger power tubes, so 6550s, KT88s. Mm-hmm. I actually really like the sound of KT120s, with the Megalith. The issue is that they're bloody expensive. Ah. Um, so uh, yeah, so so um, uh, yeah, from a production perspective, they're, they're not worth the extra. Um, um yeah, you, you get you get. You get extra performance out of them, and, and definitely more hugeness, more power. With a pair of KT120s, uh, it's over 200 watts that I get out of a megalith beta. Wow! Uh, um, wow! So yeah, yeah. So it's a, a quite an impressive uh, valve, but um, um, yeah. But but in terms of your original question about the um, that that Im- immediacy you get from from uh, the design, it's Valves definitely do play a part in that, but it's not just the valves. You know, with something like the um, <clears throat> both the Herbert and the Diesel, they both have very unique negative feedback uh, configurations, um, which is different to uh, standard amplifiers. And certainly uh, with the Uber, part of the magic of that amplifier is that you know on those higher frequencies you effectively don't have negative feedback so you know so so like you've mucked around with with, uh, dual Rectifier right yep yep so it's kind of like the difference between the vintage and the modern mode okay you know modern mode you get rid of the negative feedback and it just all of a sudden it's got this you know uh, to to the sound Um, yeah yeah cool
0: mate you mentioned about uh, the the hair metal days back in the 80s and yeah that was a, a big influence for me as well I started playing guitar in bands in 88 at the age of 14 years old, uh, mm. doing the, the pub thing, and um, a lot of people back then it was all about uh, the Jose mods or yeah, uh, Lee yeah. Jackson modifications. Mm. Is there anything that those guys were doing that directly influenced what you do? Oh, look,
1: I, I, I did uh, so on the Iron Duke, I do have uh, some uh, uh some of the clipping. Uh, mods that that, uh, that are referred to as, as, as the Jose mods. Um, but uh, I did kind of miss that boat a little bit. So by the time I started looking into uh, amp designs, um, the uh, uh, high higher gain amplifiers were then starting to become a lot more um, prominent. So, I mean, one of the things that's interesting with, with Jose and Lee Jackson and all that sort of stuff is that, um, you know, th- they were trying to fill a particular void that was... Uh, uh, that was missing, which is kind of high gain amps that were naturally high gain that didn't need to be pushed uh, with something else in order to get that sort of distortion. But, you know, by the, by the time I, I uh, came onto the scene, you know, you had your messes and your soldanos and, um, uh, and all that sort of stuff. Um, it's also quite interesting because, I mean, I think um, so much of, of our idea of gain is really about the way that the gain delivered, not necessarily the, the amount of, of clipping that you get. Or the onset of clipping. So, you know, there are some older designs that actually do have quite a bit of gain. You know, so for example, the uh, uh, the Dumble designs and uh, the Mark series from Mesa, which you know obviously go back to the seventies, uh, uh, actually had quite a bit of distortion. You know, very high gain amplifiers, even by modern standards. But just because they were delivered with a uh, more standard um, transformers power supply filtering. Uh, negative feedback, all that sort of stuff really smooths out that that um, aggression. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um. Do, do you find that you've got to dial in maybe more gain in your, into your amplifiers that than you feel is needed? Um, I know a lot of people were very surprised when they play through my rigs at how little gain I actually have, and that it's more that I hit yeah. it hard to get a particular sound. Uh, but on the other hand, I've heard people working with Eddie Van Halen says that Particularly in recent years, he's just always more gain, more gain. Yeah. Um, is that something that you're trying to, to incorporate to that there's a demand for?
1: Uh, <clears throat> uh, well, 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 certainly in terms of the megalith, um, uh, the, the um, uh, I mean, the, the I designed that particular amplifier with more gain than anybody should possibly need. <laughs> um, um, so my, my, my benchmark was, you know, of, of all those amps that, that I tested, the highest uh, gain one was the Herbert. Okay. And so what I wanted to do with my amp was have as much gain with my gain at 12 o'clock as the Herbert had on its highest gain channel with the gain maxed. So my, my thinking, once again, is, is is A, to pay respect to the guitarist mm-hmm. uh, and also not to dictate to them What you know? What a reasonable amount of games. I didn't want to say, you know, that's all the game that you should need. If you need more, then you need to go practice. That's none of my business, you know. So I set it up, like like I try to set it up where, you know, twelve o'clock is about everything that I could possibly need, and then just stand back and let the guitarist make the choice themselves. Yeah.
0: Great, great. Yeah. Now, if people um, want to actually hear your amp designs, uh, if they're interested in it, where can they? get their hands on them do you sell direct to the public or do you have distribution internationally
1: yeah so so for the amps I, I sell direct um uh i mean this it's kind of a a business decision on on my part um i i really like to um uh have contact with my customers um maybe it's it's a little bit driven uh, all on my part but you know being kind of uh Uh, running this one-man show and being isolated uh, it really does absolutely make my day when i get an email from somebody going oh man thank you so much that was you know that was exactly what i wanted i also want to hear if things don't work you know Mm -hmm. i want people to say oh you know i wish you know you'd do that and so so to have that interaction with customers particularly for amps which is so personal uh, i really do want that um the other thing as well is i mean basically I, I sell stuff at wholesale prices yep um so um you know so you know i i, I make the amps myself uh, uh pcb is obviously printed uh, at a pcb factory but i do all the assembly myself i design the transformers the chassis come in uh, bent and welded and powder coated for me but uh, i do all of the assembly i tweak stuff the way people want and something like say that the megalith gamma is um 1800 Aussie um uh, which is uh you know US dollars is about 1200 I think now or maybe even a little bit less than that um you know so 1200 US dollars for a handmade amplifier that's bloody good it should be a fairly um not too much of a hassle for people but um i think the thing that's really tricky from a business perspective um, yeah, so so, so that, that's why I sell direct. Okay. Another option for me would be to go through retailers. And the way I think is that the user will end up with the same product, but they'll just have paid a lot more for it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm trying to do people a favor by, by, by doing, doing those direct Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the other thing as well, people often ask me about um, uh, endorsements and all that sort of stuff. And I kind of um, – now, I know this isn't true, uh, but uh, I, I once um, heard an interview with Jim Marshall saying he doesn't do endorsements. Now I know that that's, that's obviously changed. Yep. But uh, you know, uh, he said very early on that uh, somebody from a band came along and said, "Look, man, you know, we, we'll we want a good deal on your amplifier. Um, uh, you know, and we're we're going to make you big if, if you um uh, if you help us out." And he said to them, "Look, I can do that, but I've got to make money." So. Mm-hmm. If, if you're not going to pay for the amplifier, then the next kid that buys it off me is going to have to cover that cost. Hmm. So my approach has been to try to keep the price as low as possible, but just to treat everybody as fairly as possible as well. I, I could go through retail stores. I could, you know, uh, contact all the people, you know, a whole bunch of the guitarists that I've met throughout my career and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, palm off stuff to them and, and, and get them to say how great it is. Yep. And hopefully, you know, it's, it's genuine that they do enjoy it. Yep. Um, but, you know, then the punter at the end of the day is going to have to bear the cost of that. Sure, sure. And there's just something ethically about that that I really do struggle with. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I, just, I, just, I feel like I could just wake everyone up and go, look, you know, you could get the same thing for a lot less mm. if you just didn't – if you just wanted to use your ears as opposed to use what um, – the opinion of a guitar magazine says or yeah or the opinion of a famous guitarist
0: yeah um, i think the day of the the guitar magazine is is definitely yeah, on its way yeah, out yeah. Uh, just yeah, in terms yeah, of reach yeah. versus yeah. youtubers and, and the like uh, which puts me in a, in a very interesting position in that i've become friends over the last year or so with a lot of the designers and ceos from a lot of big companies hmm. and it's the a lot of them are asking me about man Australia's our worst market. Why the hell mm. can't we sell amps over there? You know what? What gives? And I've tried to give them feedback, and some of it comes down to the middlemen, the um, the distributors over mm. here. Um, mm. Now, I guess one of the advantages of having a distributor internationally is if something happens to the amplifier and you need to get repairs, mm. usually you've got a, a, an authorised repair service. If somebody was to buy one of your amps overseas and mm um or even in australia because it's a very big place uh, mm. and they need to get repairs done mm. is that something that you have them send the amplifier back or are you okay with getting <laughs> handing over schematics to somebody and say this is what needs to be done
1: can you do the yeah, repair yeah 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 well look the 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 vast majority of problems that you get with a with a tube amp are going to be the tubes mm-hmm uh, so, so working out which tube has failed and, and uh, replacing that should be, um, you know, an amp tech should be able to do that without having to, you know, get schematics for the switching system or whatever. Sure, sure, yeah, okay. <laughs> um, the, the the other approach I take with my designs is I really like to make sure that stuff is over-engineered. Yep. Um, So, to give you an idea, so, my um, amps end up being quite heavy. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason for that is, um, so something like the um, uh, Iron Duke, um, the stock uh, audio transformer that I use with that is one that I designed that um, handles um, 160 watts of power for a 50-watt amplifier. That's 160 watts RMS continuous down to 40 hertz. So you can actually push that amp that transformer and I have uh, all the way to 300 watts wow uh, with with the, the full guitar uh, frequency response, yeah, so you've got effectively a three hundred watt amplifier uh, a 300 watt transformer in a fifty watt amplifier so you know you would have to be extremely unlucky <laughs> or have done something absolutely crazy uh, to um uh, to 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 blow up a transformer like that. Yeah. And same thing same thing with the say for example uh, the power supply capacitors. So um, if I've got uh, if the plate's running at five hundred volts, then I've got eight hundred volts worth of capacitors in there. Um, uh, I get uh, all my potentiometers, um, you know, shipped directly from the manufacturer. So I don't, you know, my pots haven't been sitting in a warehouse for fifteen years. Um, so stuff going wrong is actually quite rare um if something does go wrong then often it's just just the tube um uh i don't think i've ever had a part failure in an amp that i've shipped overseas wow um the amps that have you know local guys prefer here in australia prefer to send the amps to me to to, um for me to look at because they're my babies yeah I know them well and yep. so uh you know 99 of the time like i said it's just a tube failure or maybe a scratchy pot or something like that that needs to be fixed up <laughs> and i handle that myself i must admit lately i've been a little bit slack with that because i've just been so busy that uh repair repairs have uh, banked up a little bit uh, but um yeah i mean i i try i try to be uh, reasonable with that as well yep yeah um, uh, and certainly reasonable in terms of cost so so one of the good things about sending stuff to me is Something comes in, I know straight away what the problem is. Yeah, it doesn't take me very long to yeah. work it out. And even if I do, I, I don't overcharge for labour and that sort of stuff. So cool, cool, folks. If you
0: have any questions for Michael, now would be a good uh, time to drop some in the comments section there. Um, as I just asked you, Michael, um, I noticed just talking to some builders lately that with all the government incentives out there to help people through the, the weird times we're going through. A lot of people yeah. are are using their their money on gear. Have you found yeah. that you're very busy right now? Uh, yes. Doing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, I'm I'm very happy. I mean, look, when all when all hell broke loose, uh, I really was expecting everything to just completely die. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and and uh, when when that happened, I thought to myself. Um, uh, you know, when, when, that uh, I was going to end up being very, very quiet. And uh, so I was I was really prepping for the worst. But in fact, what I found was that um, uh, sales picked up and I suspect that there is a whole bunch of uh, musicians at home, uh, maybe a little bit bored, uh, who've, um, uh, yeah... It, Ended up uh, with a little bit of extra disposable cash and uh, picked stuff up, which is great, which is fantastic. I've got no complaints. I hope hope that continues. I mean, I hope obviously that um, uh, things go back to normal for everybody. Um, you know, there's a lot of lot of weird stuff happening at the moment in the world, and uh, yeah, um, I feel very um, <laughs> I feel very bad for 2019. I feel like as if um, 2019 actually was a pretty good year and 2020 has just proven how bad things can be so i really do hope things go back to normal but yeah in terms of uh, in terms of sales and and all that sort of stuff i have found actually that um uh, guitarists have had uh, uh, yeah a bit of disposable income at the moment and are happy to and are sitting at home bored going i need new toys so i've uh, yeah,
0: very well covered. As, very well covered there, Michael. As I went and had a quick bio break, as I explained to you beforehand. <laughs> I sit
1: here and drink coffee all morning, and then
0: halfway into these, it hits me. <laughs> I do believe I, I didn't.
1: I, I, I used my joke about you know feeling bad for for, for, for twenty nineteen and everything, and uh, you, know, you weren't there to laugh at it, so. uh,
0: I was actually listening because I, I got. I'm, I, I am going by uh, by Bluetooth today, and <laughs> I did warn you beforehand, and I said if I do this. <laughs> funny thing is, I hadn't switched the screen so the viewers would have seen me doing that and wondering what what was that all about Uh, (laughs) 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 these things happen it's usually that or battery which i seem to be doing okay with at the moment uh i'm just going to see here uh if there's any questions that people would like us uh, to answer um so from nick kane if owning an original iron duke can it be sent to you to be upgraded to be closer to a version two
1: um, that is a kind of a trick question. I mean, anything is possible. Uh, but the reality is that, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, let me take a step back. So the layout of the PCB is different. It bolts differently into the chassis. The chassis looks different. So you'd need a new PCB a new chassis. Uh, transformers are the same. I could reuse the transformers, but basically you're paying pretty much for a new amplifier. Okay. Uh, so unfortunately, unfortunately, no, uh, um, And look, uh, for anyone who owns the uh, V1, uh, I say to you, uh, the way it works with guitar, uh, we've seen it multiple times, manufacturer says, oh, I'm going to make an improvement, and then everybody goes, oh, I like the original better. (laughs) Yeah, that does happen, doesn't (laughs) it? Mm. Yeah, it always happens. Yeah. The thing that I find really fascinating with with guitarists is we're actually, surprised. given the fact that we're rebellious rock and rollers, uh, we're surprisingly conservative. Uh, everything that came out first is always the best, and any attempt at fixing it, the shortcomings is invariably met with a, mmm, they've stuffed it up.
0: Yeah. I wonder if that's yeah. because, you know, the, the first impression thing, you know, people get used to a sound, and then if you mess with that, that they it, even if, like, technically you think it's better spec-wise and mm. everything, they're used to to yeah. that sound, and, yeah, it's probably what it comes down to, huh?
1: Yeah, so Nick, hold hold on to your V one, mate. I think, uh, yeah, uh, it'll uh, it'll it'll be worth a lot in one day.
0: <laughs> now, Cliff Gold wants to know if there's any new amp designs in the works.
1: Oh man, do I have new amp designs? I've got I've got a so many that I'm working on at the moment, and this is part of my ADD problem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's not a bad thing, man. Not a bad
1: yeah. thing. Oh look. Um, so I've got, um, uh, yeah, I've got a whole bunch that are coming up uh, that I'm prototyping in parallel. So uh, first one of those is a little uh, amplifier that I'm calling the Bonaparte. Cool. Uh, which is actually a design that that um, I've been toying around with for, for since the Iron Duke came out. The, the Iron Duke actually was meant to have a, a uh, rival uh, Bonaparte. And the joke there is that... Uh, Iron Duke is the nickname of the Duke of Wellington who, uh, sorry, uh, the Duke of Wellington? Who, yes, who, who beat Napoleon Bonaparte at the Battle of Waterloo. And so um, and so, so I've got the Iron Duke and then on the other side I've got Bonaparte, Napoleon Bonaparte. Cool. And Bonaparte is a very compact amplifier. It's only about 30 centimetres wide, but but still like a full 45, 50 watt uh, 6L6. Uh, so that's a, that's a much more polite and refined amplifier compared to the iron Duke, which is a big british brute yeah this one is continental and uh very french
0: well uh-huh. you
1: know, very polite and refined uh yeah so, so i've got that um and i've been mucking around and, and, and tuning that um so i've just got another iteration of, of, of the um uh that design uh, that, that i'm uh Going to prototype next. Then I've got a whole bunch of uh, hundred waters that I'm working on, uh, almost just for personal use. But I'll will see where they go. I kind of thought to myself, you know that that um, you know the, the ultimate Soldano idea. Uh, so I'm going to prototype that and see what happens. Um, I recently got rid of my uh, 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 I, I owned for a very long time a, a Bogner Ecstasy, which I absolutely love. Cool. And after that went out the door, I went, oh, I miss the ecstasy. <laughs> <laughs> so I started to then design up a kind of a replacement ecstasy for myself. But I thought, okay, if I was to do an ecstasy, what would I do? Uh, you know, what would I take away or add to it to make it my idea of the ultimate ecstasy? So I've got that. I'm also working on um, um, the ultimate Dumble design. Um so, so that's an amplifier that, that I prototyped uh, maybe five, six years ago called the Crystal Lattice. Uh, so the Crystal Lattice is making a comeback. I've got uh, uh, a uh, whole bunch of combo designs as well. So I've got a, um, a Fendery combo um, that is going to go into the next prototype stage very soon with a beautiful um, uh, four knob uh, spring reverb and tremolo. Um, uh, I've got... Uh, Oh, what else do I have? I've got a marshall style amplifier as well uh, in the uh, Duke uh, lineage. This one's called the Duchess okay. uh, that I've been mucking around with for a while, so that'll hopefully come out in both head and, and combo format. Um, uh, I've got then a whole bunch of really small uh, tube amps, so little 20-watters. Um, so um, kind of a high-gain design, a, a, a micro duke iron Duke um, uh, what what did I call that one I think oh, I'll call that the princeling uh, you know Duke Duchess princeling Yeah, yep, yes. yep. Um, and then I've yeah and also kind of a big iron Duke design a hundred what I call the uh, the Grand Duke um, uh, and then I've got a um, uh, little high gain uh, uh amplifier uh, i wanted to muck around with, with with the design where it's just a si- little very compact single channel 21 amplifier no channel switching so the idea being that the gain if you've got it about nine o'clock it's kind of clean but then by the time you go all the way to the end it's got kind of megalith levels of gain cool um yeah so i was just interested in that really from a technical perspective so i got that design i've got a little uh uh, micro-dumbly design as well uh, that I'm working on. Um, and Then I've got a whole bunch of rack stuff that I'm working on. Um, so um, a little um, uh, rack, uh, rack mount uh, three-channel uh, preamp, but design in a way where I can customise the, the voicings for people as well nice. so that they can say, look, I want um, amps A, B and C for the three channels. Can you do that for me? And then i design it and, and assemble it for them in a, in a one-rack unit uh uh, preamp design um i've also got uh working on a whole bunch of programmable things so uh what i'm wanting to do and this is something i've been working on for a long time now but uh i keep not getting around to it is is to really uh look at doing a pure vacuum tube equivalent of something like an axe effects cool uh so that's something that's been yeah to really take the revelation idea and just expand it dramatically but also to make it software upgradable as well so that's um uh, stuff I'm working on um, tube preamps. Uh, so I was thinking of doing a Revelation pedal. Uh, that might be kind of fun. Nice. Uh, um, and the other thing as well, I'll be interested in if if, if if there are people watching this online. Uh, I'm really tempted to put out a an amp kit. Cool. Cool. Now, yeah, the, the only thing that holds me back is really there's, – there's two things. There's kind of the uh, liability aspect of things. Mm-hmm. So if I sell an ant kit and regardless of the warnings I put on if somebody decides that they want to lick a capacitor, <laughs> uh, am I going to be in trouble for that?
0: Mm. Um, uh,
1: so that's one aspect of things. The other thing is I wanted to do it as an open-ended design. So what I do is I give them a booklet basically with all of the theory – and I say to them, look, this is just a blank canvas, so I'm providing all the infrastructure, Uh, you then go and paint by numbers. So you have a blank, um, you know, preamp design where you look at the designs that you want and you fill in the values, and you go, right, okay, so I need a 470K resistor here, I'll have the 470K resistor. So that way you can actually build your own three-channel 100-watt uh amplifier the way that you want mm-hmm. and i'm really excited about that idea. that's awesome not, that's yeah, awesome because not, not, i know that there's a lot of people who tinker with it and the only options at the moment for kit stuff is really you know uh he's a plexi kit or he's a fender deluxe reverb kit or you know mm-hmm. they're, they're all beautiful designs and all that sort of stuff but i thought there's no one out there actually doing modern amps as kits so you know imagine kind of like a like a three channel 100 watt you know, build your own amp, whatever you want. You want a Soldano high gain with a JCM 800 crunch and a Fender clean, go for it. You know, with yeah. MIDI switching and all that sort of stuff. And I know, for me, as you know, somebody who went through the process of building your own stuff and then being able to bring it to rehearsal I and mean, look what I did. You know, there's yeah, so much. Pride absolutely. There, you know,
0: so um, Bruce Egnater has his uh, amp building classes that he does in the yes, states. Yeah, and I'm actually yeah. just locking in a time with with Bruce um, to come on the show as well. Listen, um, and it might be worth asking him about the legalities of it, but he has people in the room with him going through it. But people rave about the amps that they build for themselves. Yeah. At these, um, now uh, Cliff Gold is asking, what about a load slash reamp? Is that something you've ever considered? Is putting a load into your amps so that people can use their choice of IRs later and not have to? Yep.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so all of those small amps that I was talking about—the the, uh, the uh, Princeling and the uh, and the high gain one channel amp, and the little dumbly one, and the little Fendery one as well—so all of those have got uh, uh, mic simulated outputs as well with internal loads. Cool. Um, uh, so yeah. So so that that's something I'm thinking. But in terms of a standalone load box, look, I think part of the problem with that is. <clears throat> Uh, look, uh, I mean, I think there's already a whole bunch of really good solutions out there uh, for for reloading. Whenever I do something, I I don't do something because I think, um, uh, oh, me too, you know, somebody's done an amp like this and I go, okay, I'm going to do an amp just like it. I think to myself, what can I bring to the table? And if I can't quite bring something that sets my product apart, then I don't want to do it. Um, Yeah. so, yeah, so when it comes to, to a load box, I think uh, – I'm, I'm not entirely sure what I could bring to the table that isn't already out there. Uh, there's already a lot of really good solutions out there. Um, and uh, and th- there are some aspects of manufacture where having a big corporation, you know, work, working as a big corporation really does add up from, from a cost perspective, as in, as in it really makes a lot of sense. So, um, you know, so for example, um, uh, having inductors wound is an expensive exercise and so to have a proper reactive load, you need need to have an appropriate uh, reactive um, uh, component to it. And so it's one of those things where I could do it, but it might end up being a bit expensive and provide something not that different to what's already out there. So I was looking at it also from the consumer's perspective. If I was to walk into a guitar shop or go online... What would make me buy that particular product over something else? And if I can't justify that for my own product, then then I don't put it out. Basically, so uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah.
0: There's um, uh, some great feedback about about that idea there, Michael. Just going through, um, and somebody has actually said this is from Nick Kane. What about pedal kits as well? Has that ever crossed yeah, your mind? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, well, I actually did uh, do that as well. Um, so uh, maybe about uh, 10 years ago, I think we, we released a, a dual-channel overdrive pedal kit, and the idea being basically, and this is the thing I like to do, I, I, I don't want to tell people what to do, Yep. but I want to I provide enough information for them to have the platform there and all the infrastructure that they need, and then also to explain the way that things work. I mean, that's one of the things I actually quite enjoy doing is teaching. Um, uh, uh, yeah, so, so this pedal kit actually... Came with instructions for how to design your own pedal, and you know, if you want to build a tube screamer type of thing, you do this. If you want to build something a bit more like a rat, do that. You know, here's the way an EQ works. Go nuts. And so, yeah, and so, so that was the approach that I took with the kid. Yeah, maybe I'll, maybe I'll do that uh, in the future. Actually, cool, cool. Uh, that, that might be fun, and and, and uh, a lot less liability than a than a amplifier.
0: You never know. Just with your your openness, it seems to share the knowledge. You you could end up um, mentoring some new great person just in the way that Bruce Eg- Bruce Egnator brought up Dave Friedman and and mentored him yep. in the early days. You never know who
1: who might take the class and yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I, absolutely. I mean I, I I would I would love to do that. Yep. Um, oh, I forgot to say the other reason that stops me from from uh, from doing it. Uh, uh, I don't know how I would handle requests when things don't work so that's the only thing that i just need to think about my own personal time so um you know if you want to be making a living then obviously you need to charge for your time that's right Uh, so i don't know one of the things i thought about doing maybe is 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 pricing uh these kits with some support time built into the price okay and then if you need more support than that then um yeah uh then, then maybe i'll have some kind of support rate afterwards but um cool. yeah so, yeah so that's something i need to yeah and i think as well doing things remotely um uh, uh you know debugging something via email is a very tricky mm. um process and so i could imagine that it'd be one of those i could imagine plenty of scenarios where we end up exchanging you know 25 emails that take up you know four hours of my time and four hours of their time and then you find out that you know they Forgot to plug something in. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And so those sorts of things are a bit of a... Put a bit of a damper on my uh, kit idea. Yeah, sure. Uh,
0: Cliff Gold is saying, Fryat is the only tube power amp load available. And that's one right beside me there. That's actually quite a fair oh, way okay. behind me. Yeah, yep, yep. yep, um, okay. uh,
1: yep. I, I, I get what he means now. So I yeah. thought he was talking about a standalone uh, load box. Yeah, yep. same, same.
0: But um, hmm. yeah, that's one thing. Th- there are other load boxes out there with power amps built into them. Uh, mm. And yeah, I've had that one. That's a version one. I think they've got a version two. I do have a slight little issue with that. I still use it now and then. And mm. I did talk to uh, someone at Boutique Amps about that to pass on to Steve Fry at just the issue mm. I was having with it. Um, Brandy77 is asking, what's the craziest mod that someone has asked for in the Megalith series?
1: Um, I've only done this once. Um, so I had one customer ask for more gain. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah, so I squeezed as much gain as I could out of the design. I said, look, I mean, they hadn't heard the amplifier before. but uh, So that's probably the uh, the craziest thing. I mean, look, I do get a lot of um, requests about cosmetic things with the amps, mm-hmm. um, which I'm more than happy to, to, to oblige. But uh, like I said, you know, the, the way I do my manufacture is to try to invest in uh, as much parts as possible. Yep. So, for example, um, you know, retolexing a box is a bit of a pain for me. I, I love the look of, of, of custom amps, uh, but it is um, uh, a bit... Um, uh challenging for me uh in terms of my in terms of my time so you know so for example like megalith um you know i've got a whole stack of headshells already done up in black with the black girl cloth because that's what the standard look is okay my pricing is based around that um yes so people ask for for custom uh tolexes um uh you know perspex fronts led lighting on the inside um all that sort of stuff, yeah.
0: I, I did warn you, Michael, that my I'm running on batteries over here and that it would run out at one point, point. I've just hit that, but that's okay. I can actually show people what – that's the view that Michael's seeing of me, just by the way, <laughs> uh, which is just my iMac. I do have a camera that I have set up, and I've just changed that over, so I'm going to go back to the shot of you, Michael, as I get that back up and running. It's no big problem. That's the danger of life. Look at that. I'm going to put this over here. Awesome. Is that a Canon? It is, and it's just the, the cheap M50, mate. The cheapest, no, okay, cool. yeah, yeah. People right. assume I've got some big, bloody setup going on over here. Far yeah. from the truth. I find that uh, you don't need all that expensive gear. It's all about your content, really, isn't it? And
1: yeah. now, let me ask you a question. Yeah, please, please <laughs> okay. do. Um, what do you think about rack? Is there a future? I,
0: I do because um, fly gigs. And a lot of people have had to jump onto the whole bandwagon of axe effects, etc. Mm. I think Thomas Blue's idea of having a floor amp. I'm not sure if you checked out the the Blue Guitar yep. Amp One. Yep. I think he stumbled on something really good there. Mm. Um, and either okay, so my whole thing with a floor amp is if you're doing small gigs, yep. I don't want to have pedals on the floor because beer and crap gets spilled all over it and i'd hate to have the guts of everything on the floor back there i've mm. got a not sure if people can see let me just get out of the way but in front of that marshall box there mm. yeah uh i'll just move that the foot controller that you can see in front of that i actually bought it out of the band nine inch nails um i'm a big fan mm. of trent Reznor and his work and when he went on hiatus a little while he sold all his gear up to on the fan club and mm. i bought that because i would rather have a controller on the floor controlling a rack behind me mm. uh and um, and that's probably why the floor ramp thing when i was touring in a in a queen show i was in a, a group called the killer queen experience and doing international gigs and i was mm. touring with a a kemper mm. and the great thing about that was it was back over yonder Plugged in a power lead and two outputs to to front of house. But I had the remote full controller. I didn't need any power on the floor. i just go down the front, plonk that, and I was set up ready to go at a festival Mm. gig in no time. Mm. Mm. Future in rack gear? For me, yes, because, as I said, I'd rather have just a controller like that, which, pour water on it, it's going to live, as opposed to having... Everything on that floor, on the floor, all my pedals, etc. So, I do like the idea of rack. Plus, mm. I started. Yeah, I've got the ADA there. I've actually borrowed a, yeah. a JMP one as well to do a bit so of it, some some tone comparisons with. Mm. So that's a big yes for me. From on rack.
1: Yeah, no, and yeah. I guess yeah, I really do hope it comes back. I mean, I think it's. Um, yeah, it's uh, a very interesting format. And I think that the, the way that music's going as well. Um, I mean, look, as, you know, clearly this conversation we've, we've had, we've talked a lot about amps. I mean, I think that uh, I would love to see amps continue the way that they are, but I think things are going to evolve. Mm-hmm. And so I, 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 I certainly do hope that uh, Rack makes a resurgence.
0: Yeah, um, I was hmm. very surprised, well, not surprised, but I finally learnt from an article that I saw online recently from Steve Fryet, who's you know, pretty much the king of the, the rack power mm. amps, the VHT days mm. now with the Fryet company. Um, the difference that people are hearing between a head and a rack is that the power supply. Yeah. You know, in a head, mm. you've got one power supply feeding both the preamp yep. power amp, yep. as opposed to separate power supplies in rack units. Yeah. Uh, if they're knowing that, if there was a way that. I don't know. can you power have a, a connector IEC cable coming off one power supply to feed the other? Yeah. Would, would that yeah, no, would that help the synergy yeah. of it all?
1: yep no, no definitely. And uh, certainly one of the things that uh, I'm looking at is in fact a control signal so so it's obviously it's it's a little bit dangerous playing with high voltages coming out of one unit and plugging into another. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so another option is to um. Which is what I'm looking at exploring is, uh, in fact, a control signal that comes out of the power amplifier that basically tells the preamp what 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 voltage it's producing. Okay. And then the, the preamp then has a power supply that tracks the um, the, the power amp um, uh, supply. Yeah. So in other words, to, to create that uh, that uh, same feel. I, I know, for example, on the synergy stuff as well, they've got that um, sag control, um, which uh, which seems to be effective as well. Yeah. I mean, I think that. Um, that that might be interesting. Um, I think to do it properly, I think that there might be um, uh, <clears throat> the need to um uh, make sure that we're looking at multiple parameters at the same time. So not just the sag, but also maybe some things to do with interstage feedback as well that might be uh, good to to explore as well. Actually, speaking of which, let me throw it out there for somebody to to get really rich and famous doing.
0: Yeah,
1: I think one of the things that would be really cool uh, would be for somebody to develop a um, uh, a feedback system for guitars. So imagine on the Axe Effects, OK, some kind of plug that you can plug into on the Axe FX, OK, that is connected into your guitar, right? And then what happens is kind of like a sustainiac setup where that signal then creates the effect that you would have if your amp was standing, if you were standing in front of a real amp. Yeah, right. So, for example, imagine being able to then force the strings to vibrate a little mm. bit. Yep. Like you've got a bit of SPL in the room.
0: That's funny you should say that. Uh, I, I am a, a former big user of the Sustainiac. Uh, if I just go to my one shot there. This is always fun, doing this in reverse. So I'm thinking, oh, that guy right there is my Hamer, uh, which is about a 1990, 1991 Hamer USA Chaparral. That mm. used to have a sustainiac in it. Mm. And I pulled that out in recent years because it was the old model. Two nine volts, it would run on a little compartment in the back. And I'd get about an hour out of that before mm. when it went flat, my, my bridge pickup would would die, etc. So I pulled it out and just hardwired it without it. I mm. do want to get the newer one, which apparently uses a fraction of of the power. So the I am familiar with the beauty of being able to flick a switch and just have controlled yeah. feedback. Now, Boss, I used to have a pedal that did a similar thing. Yeah. And I had one here. I'm not sure if Mickey picked it up. I'm just going to go have a look. But um, yeah. as a young um, fellow that I uh, get paid to mentor, he's uh, autistic, um, has autism. Apparently, you can't say he's autistic, although you ask his parents that and they'll tell you to mind your own business. He's autistic. Um mm musical genius Mm. and he lent me a a boss pedal he he picked up some pedals i'm gonna have a quick look see if it's still there because i am remote today and you guys got to see that i am wearing my pajamas still (laughs) um it's the beauty of doing these from home in the morning (laughs) i got this from bobby spencer uh when the first interview i did with bob he was in his pajamas so for his second one he invited himself (laughs) back on two weeks later i said mate you're more than welcome and uh i went and bought pajamas for the occasion but the boss pedal was a little silver one i can't think what it was called and i have no idea how it works but you could press and hold and um initiate feedback
1: yeah, I, I remember that. I think it was called the Overdrive Feedbacker, and it came out in the late '80s.
0: I remember book, one called a Super Super Feedbacker. Su- yeah, Super Feedbacker and Distortion. Okay, right, but yeah, yep. that was the yellow one. Yep. Mickey had a silver one, which looked like it was a bit newer. So there was two different models. I'd have to investigate that. Hmm. But is that the kind of thing you're talking about?
1: Well, no, because because that the Super Feedbacker works with a, with a with a uh, uh, PLL, a phase lock loop uh, circuit, which basically um, think of it like this: it's 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 a it's a circuit that can be set up to resonate at whatever input frequency you give it.
0: Okay. So kind of
1: it's it's a fake simulation of of, of what the feedback is. Sure. Well, certainly that's the way that that the pedal that that uh, that I had uh, all those years ago worked. Um, what I'm actually thinking is effectively uh, something like a sustainiac, but that drives your guitar strings based on the input that's coming from the amp modeler. Okay. Right. Because part of the, part, part of the problem with, with the amp modeler as opposed to a real amplifier is you miss that real, that, that, that feedback that you get from a real guitar amplifier where the amplifier, you drive the amplifier with your guitar, but the amplifier drives the speakers, the speakers pump the air the air then changes the way the the, the guitar strings vibrate. Mm, mm. And an extreme case of that is when you get feedback. But even before you get to the point of feedback, your guitar sounds different because you're in the same room as the amplifier. Yep. yep. It's just physics. Yeah, Yep. So the thing I'm thinking about is something that actually drives the guitar strings to make them vibrate as if you've got SPL there in the room. And would
0: that require something installed on the guitar, some type of... I want to say yes. transducer, but that's probably not the right word.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah it's some, something, something to drive the the, the 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 steel strings. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Kind of, kind of a reverse pickup, which is what a sustainiac is.
0: Yeah, yeah. But,
1: but obviously, the thing with a sustainiac is that it's being driven by the guitar by the, signal.
0: The, yeah, and not the amp but, signal. That's yeah, where you're coming from. If you, yeah. Folks, if somebody knows the, the know-how. There's a great idea there. And, and, and uh, Michael seems happy to to share that with folks. That's great. Yeah.
1: Uh, so, yes, that, that, yeah. that, that would be fun to develop. But,
0: um, Nick Kane saying the FB2, the feedback boost, feedbacker booster. I think that's the silver one that, that, that Mickey exactly had. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Might have to look that up, how that all works. Folks, yeah. if, if you've got any questions for, for, for Michael, I, I am going to round things up soon. We have hit the, the two-hour marker. I told you it goes quick, doesn't it, mate?
1: It does, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah. I always say to people, if we could get a half hour out of you, I'd be happy. And I haven't had one that hasn't ended up going two hours close to even three on a couple of the early ones. And I thought, that's a bit too long. Uh, Speak now, Forever Hill. Hold your peace. It looks like, no, we're done there. Folks, thank you a lot for, for, for tuning in, especially to, to Michael for giving me the time, mate. I've been wanted to chat to you for a while. So a uh, big round of applause for you as I hit the button.
1: Thank you very much, Mr. Hollis.
0: No problem. <laughs> Mate, I, I have no doubt that after we hang up here, we'll probably end up chatting for quite a while because that's what happens. Um, so, folks, thank you again. Like, subscribe, all that good stuff, and uh, I'll try and keep bringing you the guests like like Michael and some of the other people I've had on late, lately on a bit of a roll. I'm going to keep it up. Thanks, guys. See ya.